of the Sign Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Christianity is a paradox, isn't it? It's a riddle wrapped in a, well, you know, I'm going to let our author explain this. And just so you know that uh, I'll call him Krish, but it's actually Dr. Kandaya. He is the founder and director of Home for Good, a UK charity finding homes for foster children and young refugees. He's an international speaker. And uh, welcome to the program. Hey, it's lovely to be here. Yeah. I mean, the first thing about your book is, you know, it's mind-bending the title even and the, and the cover. Yeah. <laughs> as far as it makes your head spin a little bit, you know. Did, uh, tell us about your book, Paradoxology. So I wrote Paradoxology because there's a whole bunch of issues as I read the Bible that I really wrestle with. And I've been a Christian um, since I was 15 years old. So that's the last 30 years I've been in full-time Christian ministry of some form or another for the last 20 years, whether that's lecturing in theology or as a cross-cultural missionary or as an apologist. And so I thought if there's a whole bunch of issues I'm wrestling with, it might help people if I wrestled with them out loud and uh, they can wrestle along with me. And uh, what we found in the UK is it's it's found an audience with all sorts of people, some some of them Christian, um, many of them not Christian, some who have been Christians for 50 years, some who are new to faith, and they just enjoyed wrestling with some of those really difficult Bible stories and trying to hear the voice of God in them. Yeah, and you mentioned in the back of the book, the Christian faith seems full of paradoxes. Uh, examples of compassionate God who sanctions genocide, an all-powerful God who allows uh, horrific suffering, a God who owns everything yet demands so much from his followers, a God who is distant yet present at the same time. How long did it take to go over all these uh, paradoxes with, uh, with you in the, in the scriptures? Well, I guess I've been wrestling with them for my entire Christian life, but I didn't know early on that I would have permission to do that. Sometimes the way that we present the Christian faith, it's as if it's supposed to be simple and, and there's no room for doubt, no room for um, challenge. And so it, it took me a while to have the confidence to be able to put them out there in print. Um, but actually, I, I guess I've been wrestling with them since I became a Christian. Yeah. So you think sometimes that we hide as Christians a little bit? I know you mentioned in, in the book here that sometimes we like, you know, sit up, sit down, uh, do the worship part, and this makes sense. And we, we, we like a worship in Christianity that uh, caters to our needs a little bit. When things get a little difficult and tricky, we kind of lose lose ground a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I call it refrigerator magnet Christianity. We want something we can stick on the refrigerator or on a bumper sticker. We want to keep it simple because we think that will help people. But I found the opposite, that if we oversimplify the Christian faith, we make it less credible, less believable. And actually, there's so many characters in the Old Testament that seem to wrestle with doubt. You know, you just have to open the Psalms. They're full of people asking God huge questions. Where are you? Why are you so far away? Or well, the book of Job is someone wrestling with all sorts of unanswered questions. Um, and so I just wanted to, I guess, be faithful to the, the way that Scripture leaves room for complexity, challenge, paradox. In your book, and they show the trailer, if you go on YouTube, you know, and you put in uh, paradoxology, it shows, you know, you in hospital and uh, where people could be in a place like that and wonder where's God. And, you know, you can feel like you have your faith pretty well together, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in, in tricky situations and you kind of wonder and you lead us to those places like in the book of Job and Moses. And, and you draw out the fact that even though that they, you know, really connected with God, if you will, face to face that there were still a lot of doubts if through the prophets and uh, and that we shouldn't feel so bad about that. 
That's right. I, I think it's a, a good idea to wrestle with the big issues of God maybe before we come into those difficult circumstances. So this book could be helpful for people that, that feel their faith is together. Well, well let's, let's stress test that. Let's look at the, the challenging parts ahead of time. Or maybe you're someone that's in the middle of crisis or in the middle of suffering. But actually, hopefully, these, this book will kind of get beyond the, the pat answers and the neat, simplistic syllogisms and, and, and allow us to, to ask some honest questions with God. Do you feel a little better after writing this book or you still have quite a bit of questions? Well, I'm one of the kinds of people that, that think out loud. I, I learn by creating. And so as I wrote the book, it was quite cathartic. Um, but it isn't just me throwing everything up in the air and saying there's no answers to anything. It's firmly rooted in scripture. So, for example, um, each chapter of the book wrestles with uh, one big paradox, but it always links it to a Bible passage. So, for example, if I give you some of the chapter headings, uh, that might be a fun way. Uh, so I look at the story of Abraham in the Abraham paradox, and that's called the God who needs nothing but asks for everything. And we wrestle particularly with the question of why God uh, would ask Abraham to sacrifice his own son. So we're, we're sticking really solidly to the scriptural text, but, but I guess having the courage to ask some difficult questions. Or the Moses paradox is the God who is far away but so close. You know, why does God ask um, Moses to lead his people out of Egypt uh, and then ban them from his presence by building this whole system of sacrifices and the tabernacle. Uh, or the Joshua paradox is linked very closely with the, the, the book of Joshua, but asks the question about genocide, the God who is terribly compassionate. So my hope is by asking the difficult questions of scripture, we'll actually come to trust scripture more, love God better and have a bigger view of God. Yeah, you know, when I talk to a lot of unbelievers about the Lord, about Jesus, about the Bible, uh, I kind of relate to them a little bit more because they do have questions. They have legitimate questions that they bring. And I, I find it refreshing, actually, because they um, they want to, you know, be challenged, I guess. They, it's like they want a reason to believe in the supernatural power of God. It's not always easy to make that jump. No, that's right. And I think it's very healthy if we're able to say, look... Um, there are still things in the Bible that I wrestle with, but I still believe God to be true. Um, I, I love studying the Bible with my children. I have seven children, the eldest of whom is 18, the youngest of whom is six months. Some are, are birth children, some are fostered, and some are adopted. But when I study the Bible with children, they're not afraid to ask difficult questions. And actually, it brings uh, a really refreshing openness and, and new challenge in Scripture. I think some people are afraid to ask questions because they're scared that, that they might pop the bubble of their faith. But actually, I think God and the gospel is big enough and strong enough that we can throw anything at it. We can love God with all our heart, soul and mind. We don't have to switch off our brain in order to worship God effectively. Yeah, seven children, you're 41 years old. That's a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm 45 now. So oh, 45, all right. <laughs> yeah, wow. We managed to cram a lot into a short amount of time. So what's the most difficult <laughs> What's the most difficult thing about writing this book as far as talking about all the different paradoxes? I mean, you're dealing with different theology and so forth, but what are some of the questions you get from people when they, you know, they're not sure about how to believe? 
Uh, a lot of people really wrestle with the genocide question. Um, that their particular texts in the Old Testament that they feel really disrupts their idea of God as a loving and compassionate and gracious God, and 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 they're not quite sure how to put the Old Testament and the New Testament together. In fact, many Christians I know are embarrassed about the Old Testament. Sometimes when we give Scripture away, we don't even give the Old Testament away. We just give the New Testament and maybe the Psalms. And so I think for a lot of people, the genocide question was huge. Um, the other one in particular, I guess, was the Judas paradox, the God who determines our free will. Uh, I was giving an evangelistic talk just uh, the other night, and an atheist came up to me and said that was the big question. He couldn't get his head around how could a God who determines the future, who's in control, who's sovereign, wasn't a word he used, but it was a word I used, how does he operate and yet still hold us accountable? How do we have free will? So these are big conundrums. And by trying to lock into some Bible passages and particularly some Bible stories that can help us wrestle with it, that, that's been quite useful to people, I think. Yes, and the way people challenge the Lord in Scripture, it, he knows that we don't expect it to be so easy, but maybe, just maybe, is an escape from tackling these difficult issues, as you mentioned in your book, and, uh, you know, that we bring it out in the open, because sometimes Christianity is too easy, you know, you have certain uh, preachers, televangelists, okay, I won't mention their names, and it, they do make it, like, easy believism, if you will, and uh, and then we get to some paradoxes, and life, life is tricky, you know, I mean, it's not a cut and dry type of endeavor. So I think it's important to go over a lot of the uh, theological issues in your book. That's right. I, I find that particularly with teenagers. Um, there's a story that was in the newspapers over here in the United Kingdom uh, about a young boy. I think he was 13 years old and he, he'd been uh, impressed by an American young man. Uh, who, when he was 14, managed to get, just for a nanosecond, a working fusion reaction going. And uh, this boy had published his findings online, and so um, this 13-year-old went up to the, the head of his school, a head teacher, and said, look, I want to do this, would you help me? And uh, this head teacher was very forward-looking and said, yep, yeah, I will, I'll get behind you. He got him some funding from British Nuclear Fuels, he got him some lab space, uh, and he gave him a, a teacher to kind of work alongside him. And he did it. He got a working uh, fusion reaction just going for a nanosecond or two. And he's in our Guardian newspaper. And the headline was, Boy Makes Star in a Jar. It was a great, great headline. And the thing that, that, that troubled me was this 13-year-old boy who's doing nuclear physics in the classroom, if he were to come to church on a Sunday, at what level would we help him engage with faith? Uh, often we kind of dumb things down, we have some fun Bible story and then a kind of uh, like a, a game or a quiz or custard pies and, and lots of fun songs. But actually we're not helping or equipping our young people to engage with faith at the same level as their academic study. And actually, I found out actually that's not just true for young people. Many, many of your listeners uh, will be, you know, experts, maybe even world experts in some area of life or politics or economics or uh, or art. And yet, our understanding of our faith is still at a very basic level because we haven't asked the big questions. Mm. So this book is trying to help people kind of make the connection between their their professional life and their kind of level of excellence and their theological understanding. Yeah, so we don't like to uh, not know. You know, that's something that human nature, you know. Uh, yeah. It's really true. We want to have it down uh, certain things. And we, we thrive on that in society. But really, if you want to get to know God, you have to get to be used to not knowing. <laughs> 
That's right. I mean, there's lots of scriptures which talk about God being, you know, big. His ways are, are, are higher than our ways. That He's unfathomable. And so some people might say, oh, well, we just give up thinking about him. But I think that should make us want to think about him more. Uh, you know, when you think about those explorers that went into uncharted territories, the reason they went there was because they wanted to discover, not because they knew what was there already. Or you think about the mountaineers and they, they look at Mount Everest and say, look, that's been unconquered, that, that side of the mountain. No one's ever been up there before. That drives them on. And I wonder, instead of being fearful of asking questions and digging deeper into scripture we actually get excited about it i want to discover more i don't just want to have a basic understanding of god i want to have a, a full-blooded a real raw relationship with the living god yes and you always hear in testimonies too where people say where are you god you know and <laughs> they cry out to him and he shows up you know, uh, a lot of times uh, it, it happens in those moments where they're willing, people are willing to just reach out and, and cry out his name in the name of Jesus and uh, and find him. So I find that interesting. Your your background is very interesting. You come from your your mother was Indian. Is that correct? That's from, right. From yeah, India. She was born in India. Yeah. And your dad? She had a, an Indian mother and uh, she had an Irish father. So that was a bit complicated in those <laughs> days. And my dad was born in Malaysia, but his dad was from Sri Lanka, so I consider myself pretty international. And uh, I married uh, my wife, who is half English and half Welsh, and uh, we have three biological kids together, but the rest of our kids are from, uh, they're all born in England, but they're from very different ethnic backgrounds, so our, our household is a bit like the United Nations. I'll say, and there's something in your book, of course, a lot of people, people who aren't even, you know, believers, they they talk about the idea of karma, you know, where the good and bad deeds performed by human beings in the present determine the quality of their lives both now and in future births. Um, so that's something that you struggle with for a very long period of time before you became a believer, and you didn't really buy into that pretty much, that being a paradox in itself. Can you talk a little bit about karma? Yeah, so some people think that uh, karma is a biblical idea. You know, you can get this um, in scriptures where it says you reap what you sow. And so people say, well, okay, the bad things that happened to me in this life must have been because of um, bad things that I've done either in a previous life or in my life. And actually the Bible doesn't operate on that level. It's just saying um, as a general rule of thumb, um, I guess in terms of proverbial wisdom, um, bad habits produce bad character or you know normally um, things that you do do have consequences um, but the Bible really challenges that whole idea of, of kind of um, karmic retribution in the story of Job so Job is being punished and the Bible's really clear he has done nothing wrong he's an innocent righteous man and yet he's being punished uh, or, or he's at least he's suffering he's not being punished um, and so that the Bible's got a very different understanding of suffering to the one that my kind of Hindu side of the family has. Um, and I found that uh, really refreshing and really exciting about the Bible um, that, uh, you know, we believe in grace, we believe in redemption, that you're not kind of locked into a circular way of kind of viewing history. But I guess one of the things that really challenged me um, was, you know, if I've got a Hindu family, I love them to bits. They're wonderful people. Uh, many of them have, you know, great family lives and, and their marriages are strong and secure. 
certainly put many Christian marriages to shame. And, and, and the challenge for me was, um, well, what do you do with that? You know, th how does that work when Jesus says he's the, the way, the truth and the life and there's no other way to the Father except through him? Where's the justice in that? It's not my family's fault they were born, in, born into a Hindu uh, family. And so I wrestle with that one in the story of jo um, Jonah. And because um, Jonah has this wonderful paradox going on that God loves the nations more than Israel does. And uh, God uh, wants Jonah to be a missionary and to share his faith in Nineveh, the most hated city that you could imagine for a Jewish person at that time. And God God shows incredible mercy and grace to this nation as long as they responded to the message of salvation. And yet Jonah's not interested. In fact, he's really upset that God's showing mercy to those people. So I try to wrestle with this whole idea of a God who is gracious, who loves the world, who loves everybody irrespective of their background. And yet the particularity and the need to become a follower of God through God's revealed means, which now is the gospel. Yes, I'm listening to your voice. And of course, I'm listening to the wisdom behind it. But I'm also thinking you should be doing voiceovers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're very kind. I mean, if people approached you for that, I've been in radio for a long time. You have you have a real talent there. Oh, you're very kind. I've just started doing a little bit of work with the BBC over here. We have a, a national broadcast um, that still allows room for kind of Christian input. Um, sometimes it's really early in the morning, and sometimes it's only for four or five minutes. But that's really kind of my... Yeah. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's go down just the list. Now, you covered some of it, okay? So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. We'll play a little game here that I'm going to give you just brief sentences you, know, you give me brief sentences but we're going to go through the contents of of your book okay so uh it's kind of like the reader's digest version okay we have the abraham paradox the abraham paradox the god who needs nothing but asks for everything how would you answer that one oh man so what one of the challenges of the book is i'm not promising in each of the chapters to give you a nice neat answer in fact that's one of the things the book is saying sometimes there aren't nice neat answers but I, I guess the, the big idea in the Abraham paradox is this, this demanding God. Why is, why is discipleship so tough? You know, why is it that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right when he says, you know, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And yet God doesn't need anything from us. We don't add anything to God. God is completely sufficient in himself. Some theologians call that the aseity of God. Uh, Paul says it in Acts 17, you know, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Well, if he doesn't need anything, why does he ask so much of us? What's he doing? So I'll, I'll leave your listeners to kind of have a little check about how we wrestle with that in the chapter. But I think it's a really important question, because if we don't understand why God is so demanding, I think we might either be miserly towards him uh, or just fear him. It's true. And the Moses paradox, the God who is far away, but so close. And I think we wrestle with that one a lot. Yeah, so there's there's two big ideas going on in um, the Bible. So one of them is that God is everywhere present. You know, there's nowhere you can hide from his presence. Psalm 139 says, I go to the heights, he's there. I go to the depths, you're there. And yet, God bans people from his presence by only allowing certain people at certain times of the years to enter the Holy of Holies. Well, what's going on? You know, is God present or is he distant? Or is he distant or is he present? How do you relate what we could call the transcendence of God with the imminence of God? And um, that's an important one that we need to kind of figure out because it will help us to know how to relate to God when we're at work. 
um, and you know whether pilgrimage is a good idea and what is there anything special about the church sanctuary that we kind of worship in on a Sunday so those are important questions to wrestle with I like how you talk about Moses where you say you know where is God and then you talk about Habakkuk and you say really God like that's the (laughs) the God who is consistently unpredictable how do you address that one well, Habakkuk is a great one. The verse that often gets quoted is when God says, look, I'm going to do something in your day that you would never even imagine. And uh, in my world, in the UK, people often use that about revival. You know, God's going to break out and do something incredible. No one would ever imagine it. But actually, that's not what's going on in the book of Habakkuk. God's going to do something which will look terrible to Israel. God's going to punish Israel by a really horrible pagan nation called Assyria. And, and no one would have guessed that God would do that. And in fact, when God reveals that to Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk goes, no way. You know, you can't do that. He, he has a kind of argument with God. And Habakkuk is one of the weirdest books of prophecy out there because it's not necessarily Habakkuk having a message from God to the nations. It's Habakkuk having an argument with God. And it has the most wonderful of conclusions, and it's really worth the read. If, you've, if your listeners only read one part of the Bible um, as a result of our podcast, I really recommend the last few lines of the prophecy of Habakkuk, uh, because he does come to a point where he is able to trust God, even though he's had this full-on argument with him. Yeah, and people always say, you know, the older they get, the less they know. And it seems that that's the case with me as well. You know, the, the God, he's not predictable in any way and it's funny because we all want to hear from god and yet he's so silent and you mentioned that in the esther paradox the god who speaks silently yeah esther's a fantastic book as well you know i love it i love teaching that as a series and it's often neglected book of the bible because god is not even mentioned he doesn't speak there are kind of no miracles that really take place as far as that kind of naked eye could see and yet god is at work he's at work um, invisibly it's almost like um, he's in the director's chair and you don't always see unless it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie you don't always see the director appear in the movie and yet his presence is so visible by the choices that he's making and, and I think that's what's going on in the Esther paradox in that God is at work even though he doesn't say anything even though he isn't visible He's pulling the strings in the background and directing things so that, yeah, I really enjoyed writing that chapter. Now, before we go over just a few more, I want to ask you, you know, your personal opinion about why Christianity, right, uh, why Christianity was never meant to be simple, like saying the word Christianity, you know? And so, you know, how do you feel about that? I mean, personally, uh, some ways where you're a little bit put off by how maybe some pastors or just in general, why we believe it has to be simple. Could you give some examples? Yeah, I think I think people want Christianity to be, to be simple so they can explain it to anybody. And I, I really understand that desire. You know, oh, you know, you don't have to really think about it. Just feel it. Just believe it. Just close your eyes. God loves you. That's enough. Job done. And I, I, I kind of understand the desire behind that. But the problem is, uh, A, life is complicated. Bad things happen. Um, you know, our expectations don't get met. Um, people do horrible things to us. Uh, people we love get ill. Even when we pray for them, they don't often get better. Sometimes they get worse. You know, what, what do you do with that? So hmm. um, life is complex. But secondly, or B, um, the, the scripture is complicated. Um, and we don't have to be ashamed of that. You know, there, there are things that are difficult to understand. Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote about the Apostle Paul. And he says, 
don't worry if you don't understand what he's written because actually I don't understand it either and you go hold on here's the Apostle Peter saying some bits of Paul's theology are so complicated even I don't get it so I guess I want to say to people look, if you've been put off by an easy, easy believism by a bumper sticker Christianity there's more or if you're bored if you're bored of hearing the same old kind of um, simplistic presentations of the gospel mm-hmm. don't worry there's more there's riches uh, I, I, I love my wife we've been married for 23 years I think it is now um, but I don't understand her fully yeah. and actually I find that exciting I'm looking forward to the next 23 years so I can get her even better and surely that's got to be true with God too right it's a paradise yeah I love my wife but she drives me crazy right <laughs> I'm just kidding Okay, so let's go back to some of the other ones here. I don't want to fight to break out. It's um, the cross paradox, the God who wins as he loses. And it seems like in that, even Christians, I think, have a difficult time thinking about being in the world. You know, we're in the world, but not of the world. And it's not, you know, whoever is first wins. It's, the, you know, who's willing to be last. You know, you shall be first if you're the minister and servant of all, you know, and so that that kind of trips people up a little bit. I think that's a paradox too. Can you discuss that one? The God who wins as he loses. So I borrowed a quote from quite a famous Charles Dickens book to introduce that, that chapter. Uh, let's see if you recognize it. It was the best of times. Do you, re- do you recognize? Yes, that I one? do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. The Taylor Two Cities, and it's it's a beautiful um, paradox, isn't it? That that um, an amazing moment in. In human history was actually the worst moment in human history and i think that is true of the cross of jesus isn't it at one level it is the worst moment ever humanity ganged up to kill the son of god and butchered him in the most barbaric horrible way and yet it is the most beautiful and wonderful moment of human history that god would lay down his life for his people that jesus would offer himself up as a sacrifice that the father god would receive on behalf of the sins of the nations it, it's it's a beautiful but terrible moment in history and um i guess that's what i was trying to draw out from that chapter just how the, the cross itself is a paradox that it's a it's it's the wrath of god on display and all of its um power and, and awe but it's also the love of god on display in all of its grace and compassion and it's the darkest moment of human history because humanity's sin is exposed and yet it's the most wonderful moment in human history because God's grace is so visible. Dr. Krish Kandaya, who is our special guest, he's written the book. It's an award-winning book, by the way, Paradoxology, Why Christianity Was Never Meant to be Simple. And, you know, I appreciate this so much because a lot of Christians, I think, are a little bored with uh, the easy, I don't know, it's, it just doesn't always feel right, you know, tackling deep seated issues is not something pastors always want to get into you know we keep the show going and and have some worship and that type of thing and uh i'm sure this has built up a lot of people's faith i yeah i found a lot of real encouragement um as people have read the book that it's given them a new depth in their understanding Uh, i try not to um use long theological words or kind of you know ancient Uh, names and and text but uh, just try to draw people into the power of the scriptures by asking some difficult questions Um, and uh, people have found that very permission giving Uh, some people have wanted to start studying theology as a result of it brilliant i've been Mm -hmm. excited about that some people have just found their prayer life and their their bible reading get a new kind of fresh lease of life so it's really encouraged me the response we've got are there any paradoxes that made the editing room floor you know that uh, didn't make it but you thought you know that could have been in the book 
Well, I've, I've just finished the follow-up uh, to this book, Paradoxology, and it's called God is Stranger. And uh, so the, 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 the paradoxes, the challenges that didn't have room to fit into Paradoxology, I, I've built a whole brand new book out of, actually. And, and there's some really tough passages there. So we look at why uh, God turns up as three strangers to Abraham. Uh, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just tell Abraham who he was and then allow him to serve him and the very next chapter of the Bible is the one where God turns up uh, to Lot um, and you know two visitors in the night and there's a there's an attempted gang rape and then there's the destruction of Sodom so it's it's a pretty full-on look at some of the even more challenging uh, passages of the Bible but uh, friends in America are gonna have to wait a little while for that one and <laughs> That's coming out at Easter, so we're sounds to good. Pick up a nice publisher in the states for yeah. that second one. I should be your marketing guy, you know. I mean, <laughs> stick with me. <laughs> I, I, you know, we're, we're connecting here, you know. And uh, so, uh, you're. I, I want to say you're a very humble person. First of all, tell us a little bit about just briefly the award that your book got. Oh yeah, so uh, the UK has a kind of book awards, uh, national book awards, and this book got uh, got a prize. It was one first prize in the. Um, kind of theology section for um the national book awards in the uk christian scene so yeah we're really really excited about that yeah and you're also the president of a school it wasn't a community college was it no what was the name of the school <laughs> i was president of the london school of theology for two years and uh yeah that's uh, the uk's largest actually it's europe's largest interdenominational evangelical theological school yes um, but i'm now focusing um more on the work we do trying to find homes for children in the foster care system and uh, trying to help young refugees find somewhere to live while they're in the UK. Absolutely. Can you give out that address too? Because I'm sure our audience who, uh, you know, sides with that and uh, champions that cause would like to go on it. And uh, how can they reach you and even buy your book? Oh, yeah. So if you just Google my name, it's Krish Kandaya. Uh, it's spelled K-A-N-D-I-A-H. You should be able to find me. And there's a little um, website where there's more details of all the books I've written. And the organization that I founded is called Home for Good because we want to bring children into a forever loving family. Yes. Thanks so much for being on the program. And this book is great. Paradoxology, Why Christianity Was Never Meant to Be Simple. And it challenges us as, as the Lord would have us do, you know, challenge our faith and work out our faith with uh, certainly fear and, uh, and trembling our salvation. Um, God bless you. You know, do you do you have any last kind of prayer? Would you like to pray for people who would like to grow sure. a little further? We appreciate would that. Would it be all right if I said a little prayer? Yes. Yeah. Father God, we thank you that you are beyond our imaginations and yet you come close to us. Thank you that, that the gospel is not overly complicated, but thank you that it's not simplistic either. I pray that all of us, um, both me, Michael, and all the listeners, that we would learn how to love you with all our heart, strength, and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And look for Dr. Kandaya on uh, certain, uh, I guess, voiceovers in the near future. Maybe you could do some big ones there. I know <laughs> that voice. I, I just want like I, I just want my Bible on CD with your voice and I'd be happy. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the program. <laughs> All right. God bless you. Thank you.